Hello and welcome to We're Watching What? I'm your host Dana, or the DHK as I'm known, and I am so excited to be joined once again by Jackie and Matt. We had so much to talk about this week, and also I think one of the most interesting post-show discussion follow-ups in terms of fact-checking that we've had so far. Couple things to address up front. A major spoiler alert for many of the things we talked about in this episode. We talk in depth about the plot of Chapter 11 of The Mandalorian. We also talk a bit about the plot of the Lego Star Wars Holiday Special. And then as a byproduct of that, we do address major plot points in both the Lego movie and The Rise of Skywalker. We also don't technically spoil the plot of Come Away, but we also don't expect or really want you to see it, but it does factor into a larger discussion. We go into a pretty detailed discussion of episode four of The Undoing because it is a mystery. Of course, pretty much anything we say will reveal stuff to you, so we wanna make sure that you're caught up. During that discussion, we also touch upon the film Something Borrowed and My Best Friend's Wedding. So they're slightly older films. One is considerably older at this point, not like old, old, but you know what I mean. And so if for whatever reason you felt like watching those and you're like, I really wanna see those and I haven't had a chance to yet and I don't want them spoiled for me, just sort of plug your ears for those little bits of it. A quick overview of Come Away, because again, I don't think many people will have seen it. The official description is, in this imaginative origin story of two of the most beloved characters in literature, Peter Pan and Alice in Wonderland, eight-year-old Alice, her mischievous brother Peter, and their brilliant older sibling David, let their imaginations run wild one blissful summer in the English countryside. Encouraged by their parents, Jack and Rose, the kids make believe tea parties, sword fights, and pirate ship adventures come to an abrupt end when tragedy strikes. So that's it for Heads Up Upfront, and be sure to stick around for the entire episode because at the end we did double check some of the things we had questions about and they may lead to more questions, but there were some really interesting facts we discovered. So without further ado, here's We're Watching What? We are starting with Come Away, which is a film that we all saw that theoretically is like kind of came out in theaters. I saw that it was available on demand or for rental on Amazon. We watched it in this sort of virtual screening format all together. It was truly terrible. I don't think between the three of us and then Matt's sister Jamie watched it with us, anybody knew what was going on. Anybody could understand the plot. Anybody, I had, I had no idea by the end what the, what the point of this movie was supposed to be. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a difficult one. I, you ladies know, I love, love, love Alice in Wonderland and Peter Pan hardcore. And I think we all have a lot of love for things like that. And it's, it, it was, I, I was very skeptical or skeptical going in just being like, this is, what are we doing here? Like, why are we combining these? You know, they're, they're separate for a reason and we're going to go and just, I don't know. I, I guess I'm, I'm not usually a huge fan of like, let's just combine these different fantasy stories together in general because I just want them to li- live and breathe on their own. And I still came out of it just not seeing the purpose for any of it other than like a story, a screenwriter or director just not being able to make up their mind which one they wanted to make. <laughs> you know, like it just yeah. felt like, I like both, let's just do both. I don't know. I mean, I definitely watched it. Um... <laughs> <laughs> yes, I saw the film. <laughs> That's the nicest thing I can say about it. <laughs> something I can say. <laughs> I did, I did watch it. I think the star of the show was Angelina Jolie's hair. Yes, um, yeah. It was really, really impressive, uh, especially since she is so skinny in it. I was, it, it, it looked like it weighed more than her. At, le- at the very least, it would have been hard on her neck the whole time. So that was impressive that she, you know, was able to overcome the 30 pounds of hair. Yeah, it's a, it's a physical feat. I mean, so I'm actually not an Alice in Wonderland person. I'm not a Peter Pan person. I, I think they're fine, right? Like I saw okay. the Disney versions when growing up. They're fine. They're not my particular favorites. I like them, but I think I I said this in my short review. I was like, if this was my first introduction to either of these 
worlds. I would have no clue what's going on because <laughs> there's no story. They reference elements of both different stories heavily, but expect you to know, right? They expect you to know that Tinkerbell is a fairy. They expect you to know that Captain Hook is the bad guy of Peter Pan. They expect you to know all these things, but they don't actually <laughs> introduce it within the world that they've created. And I think the big frustration I have right now is all of these recycled stories, right? We've got the slew of Disney live action remakes. And this week we were also sort of told the news that maybe John M. Chu, who I adore, is gonna be doing a Lilo and Stitch live action version. We found out that this is, you know, Alicia Vikander is gonna be in a Dial M for Murder anthology. It's just like, why can't we find new source material to draw from? What is the point of telling all of these stories? Rebecca, I think, is another example of something where we like we saw an adaptation of something that was just, there was no point. Why does this keep happening? I think studios are afraid. I think it's just something where in this world of, of adaptations and, you know, we look at sequels and remakes and we look at like what's happening in the superhero world with the Marvel films and DC and all these things. I think that they keep seeing that these things make a lot of money and that they're afraid of, Greenlighting brand new stories and things that that are just going to be more crapshoots, you know, like they're just kind of, I, I don't agree with it. I wish this is why I adore what we've talked about before a 24 as a studio. I just love that they focus on original content much more and they go and they find these filmmakers and, and things that like we, we wouldn't be able to discover otherwise if all these big head honcho studios of the world were responsible for <laughs> all of our movies and stories because it's just it's it's all like you said it's all remakes and sequels. I think I mean it's another example of capitalism ruining everything, right? I mean, essentially they need a built-in audience for a story before they're willing to put out the kind of money it takes to make a movie, especially nowadays, and especially with all of the competition. You know, back in the day, maybe one or two movies would come out in a month. It, it didn't have the deluge of film. There's not as much competition, right, uh, coming out. I mean, of course now this year's very different. But in past years, you know, we would get sometimes 10 movies coming out in a weekend. So it, it's a very different landscape of needing to get a piece of that pie and compete with that. And I think companies prefer to have a built-in audience. It's just less rich. I, no, I want, I want original stories. I love, I mean, an original screenplay. A24, like Matt was talking about, is doing as well as they're doing because they're taking chances on stories, I believe. And I think they're getting noticed for that. And I think that's incredible. Yeah. I mean, I would also shout out to Neon, who was the studio who released uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire and Parasite. Like they are, they are in that similar sort of tier of innovative storytelling. But I think the thing for me, the commercial argument starts to fall apart when you have a film like Come Away, where I'm like, independent of the quarantine and the restrictions on it and it not being able to come out in theaters, you know, properly. This was a bad movie. There was no way that this movie was going to make money. What happened here? <laughs> like, not, well, no, because some executive in a boardroom saw Angelina Jolie signed on to a remake of Peter Pan slash Alice in Wonderland, and they were like, "Cool, and let's uh, let's put some uh, people of color in it, and then it'll be really relevant." But they're not talking to creative people. Creative people are no longer in those roles, and they don't care particularly. The funny thing very, is story. Yeah. And I feel like if you do tell a good story, those are the true gems. Those are the ones that make the most money in the long run, quality over quantity. But I think people sit in those rooms and don't actually read the scripts, don't care who's writing the scripts, 
just want certain elements and they get certain names attached and then they think it's why might as well try it. And I think there's something to be said about, you know, the overseas market as well of, mm. you know, around the world, these films, because a lot of, and, and I could be totally speaking out of turn here, but a lot of when you go back to like a lot of the Disney films from our childhood, things like that, I don't actually know how circulated theatrically they were, always were. That's a very good point. Yeah. I look at, say, you know, I was someone who was really excited at the time for Tim Burton's Alice in Wonderland in 2009. I was really excited that that was happening. I thought this man with this like aesthetic that he never decides to go away from, I thought fit very well with Alice in Wonderland. I was super looking forward to it. Really disliked the film. Shocking nobody. But I, I always remember, and I'm, I'm now that other things have happened since, I know it's, I'm sure, moved down considerably on the list. But at the time, I remember looking at it and seeing that it was at a, for a moment the sixth highest grossing film in the world. Oh my God. On, on like the records. And so yeah. it was like, oh, let's make a horrifying sequel that no one wanted to see because they weren't <laughs> paying attention to the fact that people didn't like this film. They were paying attention to the fact that the people went to go see it because it was like finally this new live action Alice in Wonderland, like not finally, we've had a lot, but it just, you know, like you look at, I was very familiar with the the with Carol Burnett. I think it was like the one back in the day when we were kids. And but that didn't. I don't think that was like a big theatrical release thing. That was more like a. I think it was a TV thing. But it, we hadn't had like a a new live action Alice in Wonderland, so it felt very new and fresh at the time. And then it, you know, kind of in a way. But I think worldwide audiences. I'm not sure how familiar they all had been with all the stories before. So it's like it's hard to say. You know, because now with things going so global like they do, maybe it is expanding it to people that don't know, normally that, care about That's it. actually a super valid point and I'd never considered it from that particular angle before because I don't know how many people are aware, but like mainland China, for example, for the longest time only let in, it's like, uh, it was under 10 probably non-domestically funded for them releases, right? And that's why a lot of studios actually moved, you know, they found a partner studio in China or they would film like one sequence there, right? I think Iron Man 2 or 3 has like a completely Chinese version uh, of the film where there's a, there's a whole sequence that only was released in China as part of the film, right? The whole, rest of the film's the same. And then there's this like random side field trip to China in order to kind of get it past the, uh, the, requirements and be like okay cool like you're in dreamworks opened an entire studio there that's called called i don't know if it's still around but dreamworks oriental and they chose the name and that was ooh, that was tough anyway um so your faces yeah horrified i i was shocked by it too but the fact that like that's what the team there chose but keeping that in mind, I realized, yeah, they probably didn't get like theatrical releases of any of the animated Disney films we got growing up, right? Like if only one or two or three films are getting in a year, it's not going to be those. You know, there's a super tumultuous relationship. And now it's a lot smoother because that is probably the biggest box office in the world sure. at this point. It is. I mean, it's huge. And that's why you look at it and movies that they look and they, you know, you see our, oh, our domestic gross. No, it's not doing that well, but it'll slaughter overseas and just be like, this movie dominates and it's like, okay, this isn't even made for us anymore. This is made for other audiences because it's, you know, that's where the money's coming from. And so I have to wonder with some of these, I, I, now to be clear, I'm not sure that a studio head is sitting there and being like, you know what, we need to bring this story to China because they've never heard it before. I don't <laughs> know if they're thinking that way, but I wonder if part of the big bucks that come from it are because it is newer in other- No, they might be going. We already own the rights to this. You know, this is a huge audience who hasn't seen it before. Also, there is, there's that nostalgia appeal, right? Like, again, yeah. I think 
from a truly business perspective, I know why we're getting these over and over and over again. I think the sort of most upsetting side of it to me is when I hear a name like John M. Chu agreeing to do this stuff, I'm like, Ugh, why? Can you, can you do other things? And, and I want him to have a living and I want him to get paid what he's worth and all that stuff. And I get it, but I just, I wish there was a world in which artistic integrity and paychecks didn't have to be mutually exclusive. <laughs> no, it's absolutely true because any director, even having come off of successes like he has, you look at Disney potentially offering you up something and... Or two things, possibly. Yeah, and whatever kind of comes with that, you kind of, I don't know, I, I, I mean, it's easy for me to say as someone who's not currently working in those, <laughs> directing films, like I wish maybe I would be someday, uh, I would never say no. <laughs> so, yeah. like, if I get approached to uh, create a live action uh, Meet the Robinsons from Disney, which is one of my least favorite Disney films to ever exist, uh, I would do it. <laughs> I think Meet the Robinsons is actually you know? a surprisingly underrated animated film. Yeah, I don't know. It had some good I, jokes in it. I, I, you know, I haven't seen it in years, but I was surprised. Yeah. I had zero expectations for it. Yeah, yeah. I, know, um, I know people who really love it. And I, I did actually did this, this quarantine earlier on. I did an entire chronological rewatch of every Walt, Walt Disney Animated Studios film. Oh my God. In order, because I just, I've always, of course, seen them all, but I just wanted to kind of see the evolution of the animation and the styles and stuff. And it was really fascinating, actually. But yeah, getting through the, the early 2000s was, was a really tumultuous time for me. I would think like Chicken Little is a harder one than- It was a really hard one, yeah. yeah. That was... <laughs> what, was one, what was the one with the cows and the coming oh, home? home? on the range, yeah. That, oh, that, God. That, was, yeah. that was a bad oh, one. That was, that was hard one. Bolt was okay, if I remember correctly. I remembered it being okay as well. Um, yeah. No. <laughs> no, it was not? All right, well, I won't go back. I'll, I'll give the benefit of my like catching memory it. down. Yeah, at least for me, it wasn't, it was no longer okay. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> and the live action Disney's, if we, you know, if we want to go back to it, is they're, they're being made for copyright reasons. So they're about to expire all their copyrights to most of those 90s movies. So what they're doing is they're creating new films so they can claim those copyrights still. I don't know if this is, I like this is going to have to be something I fact checked after, but I don't think they actually have the copyright on the majority of the actual core stories. That is why we see Alice in Wonderland a lot. That is why we see Peter Pan. I believe those are in public domain in terms of the core story. But I think what Disney is doing is getting the music. Like the music is something that, and I don't know how long like ASCAP um, rights retain for. You know what? It is fascinating. You should look it up. Mickey Mouse and the copyright. Oh, Mickey. Yeah. The whole thing is at, well, he changed copyright law because it's hard. And it's, Anyway, it's a totally different podcast, but if you're at all interested in any of this stuff, you should Google Mickey Mouse and copyright. There's a bazillion articles about how he changed our American landscape that way. It's wild. I will say, you know, speaking in terms of Disney, I'm not, I, I have fallen victim to looking forward to some of the live action remakes. I very suddenly like any of them. Um, and I, I am with everybody else and kind of wishing that they would just stop. But if what has happened with you know quarantine and things like that, with what they were talking about focusing on streaming and stuff, if it's if it's true that these live actions are going to start being for streaming rather like for Disney Plus rather than theatrical releases, which I that's kind of how I interpreted it. I'm a, I'm a lot less angry at them. Mm. I got to tell you, the one I'm the least angry about is probably Lady and the Tramp, and it's because I didn't have to care about it and I did watch it because it was one of the first only things that was on Disney+. Disney+, Plus. Plus, yeah. I did not. And I was just like, I got to watch everything. And <laughs> I watched it. I thought it had cute moments. It was like, why did we do this? But whatever. And I've now forgotten about it. But like Aladdin won't leave my brain. And I really wish it would. So it's like, you know. 
I think the ones with the, that are dependent on animals really piss me off the most because I'm like, they're not actually live action most often than not. Like the Lion King and the Jungle Book. The Jungle Book, at least I was like, okay, fine. There's a human in it this time. I will give you and that. That. And that kid was a great actor, I will say. He was acting against tennis. I actually kind of like that one, the Jungle Book one. But, but, yeah. but the Lion King, I was like, this is not live action. This is just a CG animated remake. And this has to do with like the nuances of the animation, understanding and visual effects and stuff like that. But I was like, it's not, it's not that. So what's the point? Like you did it shot for shot. You didn't do it better. But yeah. it is a good segue into our next thing because... John Favreau then, you know, who spearheaded a lot of this stuff, like pretty much gets to do whatever he wants at Disney. And therefore that brought us the Mandalorian, which is something we are grateful for. So it is one of those, I'm like, maybe that's the play, right? Maybe that's what John M. Chu is doing is he's like, I, I think he truly is excited to direct the, the Willow series. I don't, I also, Willow's one I don't get. I don't get why people love Willow so much. It might be just like when you grew up. As a lifelong Lord of the Rings and Hobbit fan, let me tell you that Willow never struck a chord with me. It just always felt like a B-level wannabe Hobbit and it just, it didn't do it for me. The Are way we maybe just like a little too young for it? Maybe, like I just, but I saw it pretty young and I remember just being like, it's a, it's a hard pass for me. I, I don't, <laughs> I just don't like I it. I was just not into it and I liked all that fantasy stuff. And I love me some Warwick Davis, but you know, you know how I am with Wicked, but. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but so, no. yeah, that that's one where I'm like, okay, because it is not, necessarily like the most mainstream the most whatever i'm like that's probably a passion project and yeah maybe and maybe he'll he'll make me like it i mean it's happened before or you know something yeah. that i don't really care much for and someone comes through with a new vision on it and makes it feel more relevant to me and yeah i, I would be willing to say yeah, that's probably more of a thing where he loved that always and wants to redo it and maybe we'll get some some color in there and some other things that will be cool make it you know make it feel more like it should at this point yeah, but but I'm like, okay, maybe it's about infiltrating the Disney machine. Yeah. Who knows? I think it, I think I think from him, I'm saddened if he does it, but I understand why he did it, and I won't hold it against him. I don't think. Yeah, and and I guess for me, I'm like, okay, grateful that it would be an Asian director, and and maybe you know Polynesian would have been better, but for Lilo and Stitch, if it ends up being Lilo and Stitch, because I'm like, please don't hand this to another white person. Exactly, and that's better. You know, I, I'm I'm thankful for that as well. But yeah. we'll see on that one. Yeah, Lilo and Stitch is a is a I, I like the movie, but it, it's you know it's a cute film, and it's it's not one that I it's not one of these '90s ones where like I I adore them. I you know Little Mermaid made still hurts my soul knowing that we're getting it at some point and you know it's a big deal but like Lilo and Stitch I like it as a film but the live action is not gonna ruin desecrate my entire childhood I can just be like whatever about it so I'll probably just be like you know, okay. <laughs> I do think there is this sort of aggressive Lilo and Stitch fandom out there and it's also one where I'm like Lilo is super no, I'm sorry Stitch is super cute as an animated character in 2D Mm-hmm. But if you're going to translate that into a real world, like, I want, like, an ugly Stitch. I want, you know, like, I, I think what Detective Pikachu did with a lot of the Pokemon was horrifying. But also I was like, yes, that is what you would look like if you were in the real world. <laughs> is Disney willing to do that? It, are they? Yeah, that's that would be interesting. But you're right, Stitch, Stitch, I always say Stitch became the new Tinkerbell. Kind of like mm-hmm. this thing where Tinkerbell was, you know, I know people who loved who loved the character of Tinkerbell without even like really caring about Peter Pan or knowing about it because it was just, she was such a face of Disney. Mm-hmm. Stitch has been that that guy who, no matter what year you're in, since that came out in what, 2002, 2001 or whatever, you just see him in the stores at Disneyland everywhere. He's just always been around, never gone away. And yeah, I think everyone loves, and so 
that's why they can't make him ugly because they want to sell merch. They want a baby Yoda situation with him. So. Yeah. Right. But then I'm just like, how do you fit this into the right. real world? Right. Like I think baby Yoda is super cute, but also like a little bit ugly, you know, like not, not in a bad way, but I'm like, yeah, Yoda has wrinkles. Yoda has, baby Yoda has. Yoda's got the pug dog thing. And so baby Yoda's like a baby pug dog. Like, you know, like where they're just, yeah. they're so cute, but they, cause they're kind of unfortunate looking. You know? Yeah. <laughs> they're so ugly. They're cute. It's, it's a whole thing. Yeah. It's got, like baby Yoda's got that little underbite, like with the teeth yeah. and just. There's a magic, there's a, a happy spot there somewhere in between horrifying and really cute that they could find. It's just, will they? We'll see. Right. That's exactly the thing. But let's, let's move on to our beloved baby Yoda because I, I watched this episode super early, like Friday morning. And I was just like, I can't wait for them to watch it. Oh my God. I'm so excited. It was so good. I had such a good time. Like, honestly, oh. Bryce Dallas, Bryce Dallas could get it. I, we, I, I know. I feel. I might. I'm so proud. I was like, you know what? We were wrong. We're. So, I'm sorry. We talked so much shit last week. You know, a third of the way in, I was like, oh, I really love this episode. Oh my god, I bet you it's going to be Bryce Dallas Howard's episode. It was great. It was a good time. That's really. There were some moments where I'm like, are they? Do they keep typecasting her for these kind of cheesy, like romancey stuff? Like, I feel like the romance between the frogs was a little overstated in terms of, I know they're in frog puppet suits and they're like, you know, miming and we don't understand what they're saying, but it was a little much, you know, their, their affection for each other was like a little like mimes on a street trying to like overly demonstrate like, this is how you show love. Yeah, but their baby tadpole was so cute. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I was very stressed the whole time thinking that I know I was like snack or friend I really thought he might eat it and I was very upset he, he, he looked like he wanted to and I, I was think, like, I, yeah and I was glad he didn't I was glad he yeah. didn't but yeah. he hasn't proven himself very well in in that but he's showing he's learning he's he yeah. you know he's having new experiences you have to learn he got babysat yeah. when I went just like from the start of the episode I was so excited because I love the Mon Calamari like I love them so much and I I think it, and then when the other squid faced people showed up I was like oh my god it's a nautical episode I, like, I don't know what's happening but I love it and then in like the soup thing whatever it was oh like. the soup thing was so weird and they had practical makeup on, which I obsessed with. Yes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And of course, Starbuck, who I was so excited to see. Yeah. Yep. Don't know her name on the show, but. Yeah. And this Both like brand of Mando that are like, you guys are zealots and you need to relax. Yes. Exciting to me also. I, I love, because we've been talking about that and the stuff and we talked, we've mentioned the Django thing and kind of like, okay, was he just not into this and how it's, I love discovering that everything Mando knows about the culture is just this like little faction of it and he thinks he knows it all but it's like clearly not and I love when she's like yeah this this armor has been in my family for like I don't know how many generations or something it was kind of like you you can f off like you know yeah. like we're new to this like you know what I mean and she was so cool and you know I I, I think you know we talked about it. I haven't watched all of Clone Wars I haven't watched all of Rebels I've seen several of each uh, but I knew who Bo-Katan was, and I, right when she took that helmet off, too, I was like, she looked just like her, and I was like, this is, I loved it. This is that. so good, and see, I, I haven't seen that many of them either, but I've seen enough of them to be like, oh, I'd love, because I just love that they're touching on that universe and making it as relevant as they're making it, because those, some of those side stories were really, really good. I just didn't like all the filler episodes 
in Clone Wars. So there's a lot of episodes that are just a little like buddy comedy kind of boring to me. But then they do. Yeah, I was gonna say, I knew, and I knew Katie Sackhoff was going to be in this. I just, I totally forgot and didn't think about who she might be playing. And then here we got it. Like, oh, well, <laughs> I, I had no idea who she was or who she was supposed to be. I mean, I knew who Katie Sackhoff was, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. but, but I was just like, I, the second she came on and like pulled out from her, I was like, oh, I'm going to have to watch Clone Wars. Like, I didn't, I didn't know who she was, but I was like, damn it, I'm going to have to watch Clone Wars. Well, Amber, we have to see her again since she's like hunting after the Black Saber you know that I, I, again yeah and I was like I vaguely it's because um at the end of the last episode of the last season somebody had explained that that's important I was just like sure but if I hadn't mm-hmm. I, I feel like that is me leaning on knowledge that was given to me about that like I feel like they might need to do a little more explaining on the show or yeah. or literally say like go watch Clone Wars you know well, we might we might get it but I liked the subtlety of you know having just rewatched last season you see him with this black saber cutting out of the TIE fighter after he crashes and that's the last thing you see of him on Mouth Gideon on the show and so her kind of saying it now and you if you consider this all as not season one and season two and since there a chapter 10 chapter 11 mm-hmm. and you're like okay well just three chapters ago so really just three episodes ago we saw the black saber so if you were to watch it True. all together her saying that shouldn't, it's kind of enough, you know, it's just, but it's hard because we it's been almost a year. So it's like a lot of people, so. Okay, I of course am always on the side of don't spoon feed us everything, but I do understand that you do need a certain level to understand a story deeply. But I'm pretty obsessed with the idea that we know as much as Mando does, mm-hmm. right? Like it's from his point of view, basically, you know, we're always with him. And we know about as much as he does about this black saber. Even more than he does a little bit, you know, because we have access to the internet. But Yeah, we have to trust that they'll tell us what we need to know. I mean, the fact that we're leading to Ahsoka now, (laughs) and I love... And it's just like, I know that there's... Just like, we will not show you what she looks like. We will just, we will not do it. And I have a feeling the next episode will be cool, but then we're going to get her at the end. And then Mm -hmm. the next episode will be her episode. (laughs) And so... It's one of those things where I'm trying not to get too excited for, for, I'm excited, but I worry that the anticipation of her entering the scene is going to take away from what's going on in the episode because I'm just going to want to get there and I know it's going to be another thing, you know? <laughs> How good would it be if they subverted our expectations, just led with him being like, hi, I'm here to see. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then we just meet her and it would just- She's like, hey, how's it going? I have to say, the the one thing that really bothered me this episode was Katie Sackhoff's wig. Yeah, it was like Angelina Jolie hairstyle in come play or come away level bad. I was just, you should look up the character online. Because I, I saw a photo of it and I was like, yes. It was kind of like cosplay though. But it was, like, it was, yeah. it was a little, I, I knew cosplayers who've done better. Yeah. 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 Right. That's the thing is like, it, it, it worked because it's like, okay, you are, you look just, they're like, this is a costume of this character. And like, I, I like the attention to those details, but yeah, it looked like, okay, this could have been a little higher budget, I think. Yeah. That was my, <laughs> just because they kept showing her super close up and I was like, mm, right. no. It makes you wonder because they're setting up this idea and talking about Mandalore and all this stuff now and, you know, him having met them, these three, and kind of in, in tune to kind of what they're doing in the reaction to Black Saber, which means that they'll at some point probably intersect with Gideon. As we're watching him take baby over to Ahsoka, which is the whole goal at the moment, mm-hmm. right? To reunite the baby with its kind. It's really potentially coming up to like a super big crossroads on the show where is this going, like we've talked about before, is this going to continue being the Mando and the Child show? Or is this going to be a thing where like, is Ahsoka and the Child going to take it on a different way? Are we going to leave Mando in a way? And is Mando going to be going doing Mandalore stuff? And is it going to be separate? Is it going to be a... Well, or isn't Mandalorian also the plural of 
Mm-hmm. Man- so it could be referring to the entirety of the Mandalorians, right? Like what are the Mandalorian, you know, what are this entire group of people doing, you know? Yeah, yeah. but it, it, you know, it could be about this sort of greater, I mean, that it has been always Star Wars, right? This greater good and evil galactic sort of level split of political powers at play. I want the child all the time. So well, yes, whatever I don't think that they'd be both in it. Yeah, I don't think they'd get rid of them, but... But whatever direction we go, one of the storylines has to be the baby. Well, yeah, so I could see it being the, the new order of Jedi helping the Mandalorians. Yes, like it kind of bridging that gap. Yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, so I, think cool. you, I think you brought this up last week or at some point in just conversations we were just having about the thought that, you know, you didn't think that either the child or Mandalorian or, you know, Din would be living through the end of this entire story necessarily because we, they're not involved. No one's involved in the new trilogy. And it's true that we don't know ever what happened to Ahsoka, I don't believe, after Clone Wars or, or any Rebels stuff. And so it's something where are we going to, is this going to take us, and who knows how many seasons, but is this going to take us all the way to the end of her road, whatever that looks like? Wow. We did hear her voice at the end of the last film, yeah, talking to Ray. Oh, we, I didn't. I, I looked up all the Jedi like when it happened. So mm-hmm. I'm sorry. No, I heard Liam Neeson. Well, Ashley Exton, who I follow regularly, was like so excited to have been part of it that she posted. Yeah. Her stuff. So mm-hmm. you know, her voice was in it, and it only makes me think. It doesn't mean you couldn't. That all the Force, you know, you couldn't be communicating if you're dead, not dead, you know. But it just gave me very much Force Ghost vibes from everybody. Yeah, yeah. So it makes me think that she's not among the living in the new trilogy. But is this story going to take us to show what happens to her or is she just going to be like a moment in it? You know, so it's interesting. Yeah, I I mean, I still maintain that. I don't think they had to have appeared in the new trilogy to have survived. Like, I don't, I think there's this universe, even though it's not that big, it is that big enough that like, there's totally room for like, they're just on, you know, very far away galaxy. They're not being impacted by any of the stuff. It gives us space to, if they really wanted to be like, okay, you know, now this new generation post Skywalker are going to find this new Jedi master. You know, it's, they're leaving their options open. But this, the other thing I will say, like in spite of the fact that this moved the major plot along in a beautiful way, it's still hinged on this whole help us on a side quest thing. She literally says, come on a mission with us. And I'm like, no, stop. No, I mean, it, it, it plays directly into your video game theory. Yeah. The mission happened to be super cool, so I was very here for it. But it was, but yeah. <laughs> the mission was super cool. Oh, yeah, no, for sure. But but it was, I was just like, <laughs> But it was finally, I think the difference was, yes, but it was finally a character that- Made sense. That mission where I was like, yes, please agree to go on this mission. Because it was like, I need to know more about her. Yeah. Where some characters, as much as I love the first series, or first season and everything, on my rewatch, some characters is kind of like, okay, but like, I don't really care if you go on this mission with them. I just want you to progress the plot. So like, but this is like, I cared that you went and did this. Yeah, so. I, I love like the depth of plot when you bring in the fact that he is part of like a religious zealot organization mm-hmm. instead of that's the way all of them are. Mm-hmm. I think that was just such a great moment. Yeah, I think it highlights basically how essentially disposable the plot of the first episode of this series was, right? That like you can absolutely have these sort of slightly tangential side quests, but you can also absolutely advance the overarching story. So yeah. give us more of these. Exactly. And like still how slash why is Boba Fett relevant at all to any of this? I don't know. Oh but... yeah, I forgot about him. <laughs> You or know. whoever it is on that planet that we don't even know. No, I just trust that we're getting there. You know what I mean? And that all of these weird disparate parts are going to make sense. 
Yeah. Like the Boba Fett thing is still weird, but I'm like, I trust more that it's going to make sense when we get there. Yeah. And I will, I will issue an apology, even though she will never hear this because why was she to Bryce Dallas Howard, where I will now blame the script she was given in her episode. I just still think there are, you know, like things that she needs to develop as a director, but I will say that clearly that means the script she was given in season one was not the strongest script. And it's not the worst episode of television I've ever seen or anything. It's just like probably my least favorite or one of my least favorites of the first season. Right. But, but, but it's not terrible by any means. It's just kind of like, you know, like in, inconsequential and it just... Eh. Yeah, and it, it, but, was, it was also a little bit out of place. Like the whole romance yeah, thing right. and that, that it didn't... Well, and it, and it spanned, it's kind of jarring in the way that when you're there, you're watching it and he, Mando and the child are there for kind of an extended period of time mm-hmm. and they don't really cover time very much very well I guess all of these episodes to me feel very much like one day mm-hmm. <laughs> you know yeah. in a way and in that he's seems to be there for if I remember so he's for a while and so he's supposed to have developed this kind of relationship with this woman mm-hmm. but in the containment of the episode it feels like just we're here for a day yes. yeah <laughs> and they didn't do a good job of being like yes the seasons have passed and like oh, okay we could understand why for a while yeah you know? as opposed but, to it being like a pit stop and being like I love you you know person who I've seen in a transient like sort of role <laughs> like or I guess nurse maybe that's more what she was to yeah. him but I was just like she's just sort of like an ancillary anyway but yeah. I, I will I will say like I was like great I think this speaks more to okay well then the story is really what is more important here and the story was weaker last time around. right and this was just this episode was full of so many fun moments that were exciting that do come from direction like they come from writing but there were directing moments here that were that were intentionally big and I liked that so I, I was yeah yeah, I'm, I'm here for it. And I, I hope she does more now, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think between like her and again, Deborah Chow, I'm like, yeah. I, I do like seeing there's like a little bit of um, style with these. Yeah, it it is it is cool that they do that. And even the last episode, the Peyton Reed and, and having it, I don't know, feel more kind of horror vibe. And I, I guess, I don't know if I'm just projecting because I'm just so afraid of spiders, but. No, no, I think it was very much a oh, horror, like yeah, and potentially. It, and very alien and very, you know, and it's cool to see that, that they get to kind of put their little flair on it. And it's, and, you know, going back, like I said, and watching the first season and having it be very obvious to me that my favorite two episodes were both of Deborah Chow's episodes. It's like, there is a correlation there. Right, and for me, I'm like, oh, the Taika Waititi one is like one I'm drawn to. And then yeah. and it does make me, and I'm like, what's gonna happen when we get to the Robert Rodriguez? <laughs> right, that's what I'm like, okay, what is that gonna be like? Because, you know, this one, like, season three, we're gonna have Tarantino, we're gonna have Martin Scorsese. Oh God, it's gonna be 20 hours long. Actually, I wouldn't complain then. I'd be like, fine, oh, right. give me 20 hours of, Scorsese nobody will never, tell him not to cut. Yeah. Scorsese would never, but I could, but you know, Tarantino wanted to do a, didn't he want to do a rated R Star, Star Trek? So yep. I thank God he, I don't know. He might still be doing it. I hope he does. Yeah. But I don't think he'd be interested in doing anything that could be on Disney plus. So there we go. <laughs> very true. But I'm, I'm very excited to see where next week goes with it or just the rest of the season goes. We're going to take a quick break and be right back. The other thing that did come out, which is funny to me, is again, the whole like basically forcing us to watch Clone Wars thing. I'm like, how much else of the extended Star Wars universe are you going to consider canon? Because the Lego Star Wars holiday special came out on Disney Plus celebrating Life Day in in honor of our great holiday. And I'm just like, is any of this canon? Because it makes no sense whatsoever. Like it was, what did you two think of the special? I actually thought it was pretty painful to get through. I didn't 
I wasn't, I didn't find it very funny and I just found it kind of ridiculous. Yeah, it's, it, it's not my humor, but, but there were little moments that I, I liked. Okay, I looked at it as not canon and I looked at it more as this. And I don't know, you both would probably have to correct me if I'm wrong here. I'm not that versed on the Lego stuff, but it kind of struck me like when I was a little kid playing with my action figures type of thing, like this, I wouldn't have done this, I guess, but like this would be a story of like a kid playing with his or her Legos and like a story that they make up with all these different Star Wars Legos rather than like this actually could have happened in the Star Wars universe. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it was essentially a Christmas Carol as Star right. as told by Star Wars Lego figures. Also, Matt, I would love for you to please explain why you have not seen <laughs> the other Lego films. This is a quick tangent oh, here. I, I, yeah, I actually didn't realize that, you know, after I watched this, I saw all these other ones recommended that were clearly this style and I was like, oh, I, so I did never, I never saw the Lego movie when it came out because it gives me anxiety and a huge amount of stress, like watching that trailer, the way they move and the clicking sounds when they're, when it's like, you're watching all the structures get built and stop motion, very, it just like, it triggers me in this weird way where I would like every time that trailer played and there was something out that year that the trailer was playing on all the time. And I don't remember what it was, but I would literally sometimes close my eyes in the theater because it would just make me like sweat. (laughs) <laughs> like I I don't know and so when when you had said hey do, would you both want to watch the uh holiday special Lego and I was like oh okay well I'll try it I don't know if I'll get through it because I was picturing I thought that they all were like this I didn't realize that it's just animation of Legos but then to that point I kind of wish it was just animation because I, yeah. I I don't know I'm just not that much of a Lego guy I like Legos but yeah I I, I don't the click it gives me anxiety I don't know did you play with Legos growing up <laughs> Well, funny story there too. So I <laughs> I had Legos, but my dad really loves Legos. And spoiler alert that Santa Claus is not real. But my father and mother would buy me Legos for under the tree for uh-huh. Christmas morning. My father would stay up all night and build them and glue them <laughs> together. And I would come out there and they would be assembled. <laughs> and I'm like, why do I want this pirate ship that's like assembled, glued together, but still feels kind of fragile and breakable? And like, you're, you can put it on my shelf, I guess, but like, why I'd rather just have a pirate ship to play with. I, as a kid, did not understand the point of Legos. Like the fact that you're like, <laughs> and so as an adult, more like teenagers, eventually I did get a Lego that I built and I was like, oh, this is kind of fun. And you know, kind of like, you know, it's fun, like puzzles or whatever. Yeah. And, but as I was, my childhood, I was robbed of the Lego experience. I, you I really had were. Of, but they were, I had all the Star Wars ships, but they were hanging from my ceilings and they were glued together from my father. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so it's a funny story to this day, like my they sister- joy. For holidays, we we buy him Legos half the time. In fact, I you know he's he's getting one for Christmas this year. So it, it's one of those things. You should, where, buy, you should put it together and glue it. And I should, oh yes, it's, actually, it's funny. We bought him we bought him the the one they just released like a couple months ago, a Mandalorian ship, and mm-hmm. he's obsessed with the Mandalorian. So we're like, we got to get this for dad. And yeah, I know I should totally put it together and be like, oh here's your here's your gift. <laughs> <laughs> this is how you like it, right? Yeah. This is how you're supposed to give someone Legos. Yeah, that's what I always like. And the lack of joy that you now have for Legos. Right. Okay, I can I can understand it. I can understand not loving Legos based on that. I, I can also actually, you know, I have sounds that set me off as well. So I can understand that. But <laughs> when you said you wouldn't, you were like unhappy about watching the Lego thing, I was like, that's an odd thing to be. 
I know. We watched it. I'm like, no, this was valid to be upset about, but that's for, we, you didn't know that going into it. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, again, I, I don't know that I'd ever watch this special again, but it's not for triggering reasons. I just was like, eh, it's not really my humor. I didn't really laugh much. And I was kind of sad. I know that you can't necessarily get everybody, but I'm, I'm kind of in the school of like, if you can't get all the voice actors, then I wish to just recast everybody. <laughs> I, I completely agree. The, the sort of, yeah, like having C-3PO, but not having, and you know, they had C-3PO, Rose, Rose yeah. and Lando. And I found, yeah, Lando was there and yeah, Ray was someone else, Finn was someone else, Poe was someone else. And I found it kind of confusing and sad that that we didn't get Leia at all in like any sort of a speaking role. I think we got her in like three shots. And yeah. we got her going through and seeing all these different, and I was hoping to see a little Queen Amidala action. You know, I was like, we were just <laughs> thinking, like, like we just, we went through all these different times and not everyone we saw was a Jedi. And we got, you know, we got some Han, we got some this. I was like, kind of like, I wish that it was like, gang is all here, except not really. But <laughs> that that's just a stupid little I didn't thing. like the the lack of magic rules, which is sort of silly. Mm. But it's like, she does the thing the first time, goes somewhere. And she does it a second time and takes her back to the temple. And then eventually she starts doing it. It's just taking her different places that she's not asking for. That's and the Christmas Carol aspect of being like, this is what you should see. But you then, know, yeah. Is- I I do agree though that there was for me again it's it's a lack of logic to it because I think you can be silly and absurd but you should follow your own like like the basically I'm like wouldn't the universe implode if you know according to this you have Palpatine meeting Darth Vader meeting Kylo Ren and then like fighting each other and I'm like wouldn't you be cutting you know where's the butterfly effect involved wouldn't you be sort of like destroying your own future in what multiverses it just got the only parts I think I liked of it I, I liked the Palpatine jokes just because I feel like they were tonally sort of like the family guy and robot chicken Palpatine mm-hmm. special stuff, which is a little more absurd. And I'm like, I almost wish you'd gone more absurd and less earnest with this. Cause that is, Jackie, you didn't play the Lego games at all, did you? So I played the Lego Batman game, but like it's a video game and they have all these really funny cut scenes and they, it's actually all pantomime. Uh, in later Lego games, they introduced actual dialogue, but the, the for earlier ones weren't. And it was these great pantomime stories of Batman and like the, all of the villains and you totally got what was going on. And it was always silly and absurd and like a little bit of childish humor, but also just funny. It was truly funny. I'm like, if you can convey this without having to rely on anything else, why couldn't you have made this silly and fun and funny? You've shown that you can do that within the like scope of certain characters why are you relying like why are you convoluting this with all this other stuff like if Palpatine's funny make Palpatine funny and make it absurd well and it's interesting because I was going to say I I could appreciate that perspective and it makes more sense you put it that way because I wasn't loving Palpatine and mostly because he was the only one who was so like off the wall and crazy whereas no one else really was really going there and I was kind of like yeah he was he absolutely like did not make sense he was out of place and I'm like make it all like this because the Kylo stuff a tiny bit, but Kylo's erratic and nutso in the movie. Weird, so anyway. Yeah. It's like destroying everything. Kind of, it was just kind of a nod to the actual films. Whereas Palpatine is very calm and very like. So it's this thing where I almost am like, if you're going to go there, then just go there with everybody and make it right. all. Just, and then you know they tried Poe with the crying and stuff. They're making him kind of you know a type you know of thing too. That was funny, but it, yeah, it felt a little disjointed in a way. And Ray was so serious, you know, it's like yeah, which she is pretty serious. So it's just kind of like some of them were pretty accurate, and some were just kind of you know right. Like uh, the thing with Luke and the milk too. I was just like, well, and that is when I think I talked about this last week. That's when I had the revelation that I was like, oh, that's why Luke drinks blue milk as an adult. How funny. I, I actually chuckled a little the first time when he had the carton and stuff, but it just kept- it got so old. 
that I even at by the end and the milk mustache over and over and I was just and then I, I guess it could have you could have had the callback at the end when he's laying there and she puts the milk carton on him kind of like oh here's your milk like he's a little kid that could have been fine too but it just there were so many of them where I was like oh my gosh like can we just like move on from this milk thing but I also found it interesting like not to harp on the voice acting again but I have a hard time believing that Mark Hamill wouldn't have done this. So right. I almost feel like they didn't ask him because he's just fun and he just, I mean, he just does things and I, he loves it, I think. I mean, I think, I don't know him, but he just seems like such a good time. Maybe I feel like he would have been more than happy to voice Luke, but maybe not, yeah. Maybe he, he asked for too much money. Yeah, and, or maybe he felt like this last trilogy, that was like his, he's like, I'm done with the character. Yeah, or maybe he's been burnt by being in a holiday special before. <laughs> what, is, what is that that you speak of, Dana? <laughs> Which is, he's like, I'm good, I'm, I'm good. Yeah. Or maybe he was like, the last one I made was so good, I can never be in one again. You really couldn't top it. No, you yeah, can't. it's just, yeah. I gotta go out on a high note and I can't. Yeah. Can we talk about, for a second, the weirdness of that, in that that is one of the most bootlegged things of <laughs> all time, perhaps, because everybody's just like, I have to see this and you just can't get it, you know? Mm -hmm. And even back when I worked at a company that I shall not name, and just in case, since it's bootlegged, we watched it every holiday. Like we, they'd put it on and we would have like a screening of it. And why doesn't Disney Plus just like have it? Like, you know what I mean? It's just this weird thing where it's like, is George Lucas trying to bury it or something and be like, I can't speak of this ever again? And it seems like a weird missed opportunity because people would totally subscribe to watch that, I think, because it's just, it, it, you just hear about it. Oh, it's it's legendary. It's got, it's, it's got lore around it. It's mysterious. It's horrifying. It's wonderful. It's all these things. And it's just, it's weird to me that that would not have already happened. And that would be a moment if it was like, we're getting the Star Wars, <laughs> the holiday special, you know, like... Disney Plus, December 12th, you know, I, yeah, I would have been there. The only thing that I think maybe comes to mind in terms of that is perhaps because it was on television that yeah. there was something weird in the contract or like the rights. And I, I bet you he, George Lucas and Star, you know, Star Wars Lucasfilm owns the rights to it, but it mm. might have to do with like, you can't reshow it without paying a bunch of, you know, for X amount of time or something along those lines, because maybe it was just which is so strange because he was negotiated such good deals on like, um, you know, merchandising and all that stuff for the originals. You'd think he at that point would have some sort of clout, but maybe he just slipped up or something like that. We'll have to look into yeah. that. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just curious and watch now that I said it, we're probably going to get it, but I, I would be, I, I would be so happy about that. I'm thrilled. And that would be at it. I've got, I've got a list of holiday films, even the worst of all. Like I just like, I just think they're fun. And I, and between Halloween and Christmas time, I'm usually watching holiday films to be honest. And, I would add that to my like list of like every year I'm going to watch this like it would, because it's just it's just a funny weird good time <laughs> you know I, I don't know I mean I would part of me was like is he ashamed of it but then I'm like well he's not That's ashamed of I the wonder. prequel so I guess uh there's so much to be ashamed of that I, I, I it's just yeah. you're choosing that you know <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'd be very interested. I'm, I'm interested in the answer as well. We're gonna have to follow up on that one, but it's it's definitely. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing. Like, this isn't even so good that it's like, of course, I'd want to watch this every year. And we are maybe not the target exact target demographic for it, right? Like, I assume it's. It, it, I mean, I feel like it was aimed more at a younger audience, like kids. But we are still, you know, Star Wars fans will still watch it, right? Like, we're Clone Wars is aimed at kids. We're gonna watch Clone Wars, or Clone Wars is aimed at a more a wider audience. I'll say we're gonna watch Clone Wars. You know, this is aimed at a wider audience, and yet we were not at all really particularly entertained by it. So, yeah. I, I'm curious if kids are going to be entertained by it. I don't have an answer yeah. to that, or like a test audience. So. I would love to know. I would be very curious to know that as well, because I have to think. I, I tried to look. I tried to think that way, and I was like, because like I said. 
the angle of like, I feel like this is what a, a story a kid would make up when they're playing with something. And I can mm-hmm. totally respect, I, 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 I appreciate that perspective. That's kind of a fun thing that that's what they do. But I was like, as a kid, I really, I mean, I, I was always playing with my Star Wars toys and we would do these elaborate setups and just like, it would be more about doing the setup than really playing. Cause I just like, you know, but I would set everyone up and then yeah, we do things, but the stories I would create felt a lot more sophisticated than this, but I guess they probably weren't. <laughs> Matt, are you ever going to watch the Lego movie? I have no plans to, but. <laughs> Cause I, I, I want to spoil something like. I, I actually own it because it came with something on digital. I don't know how I, it's just on my digital, but I did not buy it. You can spoil. I know they do like the space chase and stuff. In no. There. So what I was going to say is basically that ends up being the premise of the whole movie is that it's this kid playing with all his Lego sets. And that's why all these characters are together. So he's telling the story of, you know, that's why, that's why all of these like universes are together. So you were uh, the kid from the Lego movie. <laughs> oh, okay. So, that makes sense. so it's made for me. Okay. Made for you. Yeah. That shows you that they, they're successful at making you think that because I, I didn't Yeah, know I mean, that, so. I think basically the idea is like if you were to have a kid retell the story of like A Christmas Carol and, and they told it via their Lego figures, you know, that is how I interpreted what, how they were approaching this script. But yeah. I just, I, I don't think know. It's a really cool, I think it's a cool approach. Yeah, it just didn't really do much for me and I don't think I'll watch it again. But also it, it for it being a holiday special, I, I, appreciate, I can appreciate they were like celebrating life day and all that. It didn't really have like a holiday feel to me mm-hmm. in a way. So it's hard. I, it, it's not going to really resonate as like a holiday f- film for me in a way. I don't know. Yeah. It also came out like a little bit early. I feel like it was kind of weird for me because life day means something entirely different in the disability community. So it was just very strange. So life day is what people celebrate who got injured. So, and became disabled. So they celebrate the day that they got injured. So it's like a whole taking back of that day and like being grateful to be alive and all that stuff. And so I, every time I was like, what is this? jarring? <laughs> you're like, you're like, wait, but which character? I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> all of them? <laughs> right, yeah. I guess if it was Luke or Vader or someone missing limbs and things like that and getting their robotic hands, yeah. <laughs> but. I mean, yeah. they could have, that would have been really interesting if they had done it. It would have been if they incorporated that in a way, like, yeah. you know, yeah. they had an opportunity. Some, like, yeah, I mean, if Lucasfilm needs a disability consultant <laughs> or an accessibility consultant, <laughs> we've got it. Got it. Yeah. yeah, I guess, I, I mean, it was forgettable, right? And, and that's fine. It doesn't, not everything has to be amazing, but I was, I was pretty excited for it going into it. And now I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, see, that's a bummer. See, I was, I didn't really care much. And then. I, I do think it felt like it succeeded in what they wanted it to succeed in for them. Like what I think that they made the, maybe not since it's like an audience that was excited, but I, I feel like they made the movie they wanted to make. Yeah. <laughs> or the story they wanted to make and, it, and it, it's either for people or it's not. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's very forgettable. I'm just, yeah, I didn't really do much. Yeah. Or, or actually I would say the Star Wars jokes in the actual Lego movie are better than the Lego Star Wars joke, you know, like, I, I'm just like, I wish they, I wish they'd given maybe a little bit more, like, it, it felt like it was on the cusp of potentially could have been great, but they just sort of let it go and be whatever it was. And this is one where I'm like, maybe it would have been it, nice if you, the story was okay, but it needed just a couple more re- rewrites. To right. Get it really yeah. Script wise. Yeah. And I think because they're like, oh, it's going on streaming. They're like, man, it'll be fine. Yeah. Curious. Have either of you ladies watched any of the other Lego Star Wars stuff on Disney Plus? Are you like, is it, or is like, how does it compare to that kind of stuff? I, I have only seen the the Lego movie 
and the Lego movie sequel, and then like the Lego Batman movie, which are, I think, very different than these sort of stories that are told via Lego figures. And there was that like Ninjago one. Oh God, yeah, I saw Ninjago. I remember that trailer was out for a long time. And I I remember the trailers very well because they're triggering, but I was just surprised when this ended. And obviously Disney Disney Plus doesn't do like the autoplay thing. But it was like, oh, watch next. And I, I swore I counted four. Or five. Yeah, there, there are tons of animated <laughs> Lego idea. films like that. Yeah. I had no idea. It just wasn't even on my radar. I didn't know either, actually. Um, I have seen the Lego movie. And I did think it was really cute. But I never saw the sequel for some reason. Don't, but, don't say the sequel. Oh, okay. And yeah. then... Um, I live the way it is. But it was... Yeah. I mean, the Lego movie was hilarious. Was, yeah, I think the Lego movie was hilarious. It was also unexpected, right? You see, like, a movie about Legos is happening, and you're just like what this can't be it's about toys but then they did such a good and funny job with it yeah well i was gonna say i remember being at comic-con with you jackie in in hall h it might have been a year we were together too but i was sitting with jackie in hall h and i remember the directors coming up and like talking like announcing they're doing lego movie or something and i remember being like get me out of here like why do i care about this like i was like i have wasn't left i was I feel like I was there that year with y'all because I feel like what didn't Conan do that panel and they had this whole animated Lego Conan like intro thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he I yeah. think they did. I remember the directors being there and I just remember in Hollywood. It was one of those fillers and we were just yeah. like, why are they talking why about the Lego? Like, and, then, and then everybody loved the movie. But Me, it was like, I care. I <laughs> no, but I just remember at the time, and this is all biased as someone who clearly didn't understand Lego experience either. I, as a kid, <laughs> I'm there and I'm being like, is this the world we live in where people really care about a Lego movie? And then it, they do. And, it, and it's great. And it's like a no disrespect to people. Well, I, just, I also like, didn't I know. No I didn't yeah. know that there was like YouTube videos of mm-hmm. lots of people doing Lego animation themselves. Yeah. And then it was kind of like a whole culture. And it is There's a no good idea. idea. And, that, and that's the thing. And so I completely, I take it all back. But I just remember sitting there and just being like, what? <laughs> you know, kind of. I think independent of that, the reason it was so successful is not just because of the Lego part of it, but was because of the writing. You know, you've got Phil Lord and Chris Miller who are very funny. They have a vision. They know what they're doing. I think they also understood the humor of almost every single intellectual property. And there were a kajillion that they integrated into the thing. Right. So there's like, there's jokes about Marvel. There's jokes about Star Wars. There's jokes about DC. You know, there's jokes about Harry Potter. And also I would, I would give anything to read the Lego movie intellectual property contract and oh. how they licensed out so many different quasi conflicting. I would, I would that, that in like the, the Spider-Man Marvel contract are two things I would just love to read. Um, but have to be nuts. yeah, but I, but I don't think anybody else could, because I also think, you know, watching Lego Ninjago and like but Lego Batman was fine. It's it, more because it's like a Batman story, but making a little bit fun of how pompous Batman himself is. I was like, okay, fine. But, they are not as strong as that first Lego movie. And I think also part of it was nobody had any expectations going in, right? You're just like, all right. Even even I, who was like, I love Legos, didn't have a ton of expectations going in and came out completely wowed. And then I had some for the second film and I was like, oh, yep, this disappointed me. Got it. Right, right, right. Yeah. I, I don't want to totally misquote here or miss like whatever, but these Phil Lord and Christopher Miller, they were the ones directing Solo, right? They were going to, yep. They were the ones who were let go from Solo. Or yeah, difference sure. of opinion, whatever, however, but they parted oh, yeah. ways. Yeah, parted ways, but that, yeah, that that was, uh, that's interesting, because I, I wonder, I don't know enough, I I know that they're involved with Spider-Verse as well, which I did love a lot. I know they had involvement, whether it's producing, or, I remember the names, but I wondered, I don't know enough about their direct stuff to know how, 
how I like their humor or not. I just remember hearing the solo uh, part of the controversies being that I think the lead actor Alden felt that they were trying to make Han too much of a comedian and kind of not understanding that he's not funny because he's cracking jokes. He's funny because he's so self-serious self-serious that we laugh at him we're not laughing with him and whether what's true or not I just remember reading that Alden I don't think felt that they agree that they understood it and early test screenings it was like they were that it was like him trying to act like Jim Carrey or something and I remember thinking oh my god I'm gonna hate this and then and then you know the rest is history and I ended up liking it but yeah it's interesting I don't have a a lot of experience with with them too as creatives but good for them because I remember seeing at comic-con stuff I had never heard of them personally and then look at them now, you know? I, I just double checked their filmography. I forgot. They did Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, which I think is so ridiculous and so my, funny and so absurd. Sister, Jamie, animator as well, loves that movie. Yeah. And then and I think the other then funny thing is like, they also did the 21 Jump Street reboot, speaking of remakes and reboots, oh, et cetera. Right. They did all with Channing and stuff. Okay. So they had done stuff. Yeah. Like, but I also thought that was funny because I was like, all right, well, this did something slightly different with it. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't justify them doing it but totally but also that's something where it's like how many the, the, the show and stuff it's just kind of like you either had seen it it was a moment in time you were either alive and watched it or you didn't yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean and so it kind of there is something to be said about it's kind of like you know not to totally go backwards but how we mentioned the dial-in for murder thing or these Hitchcock things or stuff where it's like there is a chance that there are generations of people who have never heard of this or don't know about you don't know about it where it's like oh, okay cool you're kind of bringing it to a new audience and Hopefully, boys in the band, like we talked about, hopefully you're going to make it relevant to the new audience more so than, <laughs> you know, but. Do a boys in the band did, basically. Yeah. Avoid that at all costs. Yeah, at exactly. all costs. Exactly. So that, that, kind of to bring it full circle with that conversation, it's just like, yeah, these remakes and stuff, but something like what the Lego movie did is kind of capitalizing on all these different fandoms, but telling an original story, which is kind of a cooler way to go about it. Yeah. Yeah. They they also had a show called Clone High that I remember I was such a fan of. I didn't discover it until like well, well after it was on the air, but it's just like, it's basically the premise is all, there's a high school and everyone is like a clone of a famous person. So it's like Abraham Lincoln and like actually- all of these other like famous historical characters go to high school together. It was like Joan of Arc and Gandhi and... It was, I, I love their surreal stuff, or like slightly surreal. I, I, that's what I wanted for Lego Star Wars Christmas special or, or uh, whatever holiday special is like, I wanted the surreal. I wanted the Palpatine weirdness. I wanted that. Yeah. And was not given it. No, sadly. Yeah, no, it's a, yeah. I, I could see that. Cause there's kind of a, a line between you're, you're trying to be somewhat accurate or you're kind of being a parody. And yeah, or is the better way to go, yeah, kind of in a way. Or I wanted it to be so bad, like the original special, that it's good. Or like <laughs> I think that's also you know to talk about what we were talking about earlier. Like we all went into Come Away, I think, yeah, I thinking like this might be terrible but hilarious. I was more disappointed with it because it wasn't. I think we even said not that this is some good film, but there were things I liked. The music, I thought it was shot okay. I thought it, like, the the production value looked relatively, you know. Rich. And there was a budget. There was clearly a budget to it. Most of it went to Angelina Jolie's keeping her neck from collapsing under the weight of her wig. And and I didn't think most of the acting was like, oh wow, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. So it was just this thing where it was like, oh, this this isn't committing to just being like a Yui Bowl. <laughs> this, this is like trying to be good but it's just not and it's just not good and so you just leave like angry yeah whereas if it had been so bad that i'm laughing i would have 
Loved it. Enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. All right. Switching gears entirely. Yeah. Let's talk about the undoing. Do it. I it am so tired of these cliffhangers at the end of these episodes. I, I was like, it wasn't my favorite episode. And I got to say, it's my cliffhanger really. the last episode. Same thing here where it's like, if you need to rely, I'm liking the show enough to like, I still want to know. But if you need to rely on this kind of cliffhanger ending to make sure people watch the next week, I don't think you're telling a good enough story. Mm-hmm. It's not. So my, my problem is, it's like, it's, it's just such a, I mean, him accusing her husband is just like the most boring. Yeah. Like, of course you're going to do that. And I, I'm far enough in knowing that it's only, I think we said six episodes. I'm six far episodes, yeah. Where I'm going to watch the rest. I just, now I want to know. I will too. But had this been the second episode, I, I'm not I sure. I would have tapped out, yeah. I, I, I just out. think it's great. And I will tell you, Unex- not unexpectedly, I guess, but in this, I, I think this is Donald, this is uh, Donald Sutherland's show. Oh, I mean, yeah, I, I was gonna say, he's, his is incredible. <laughs> like, he his, had some when moments. He thought, when he was at the, the jail. Talking to Grant, like, what? oh, yeah. Couldn't keep up. I'm, okay, Grant could not keep up. Mm-hmm. And he's right. all, and I, I will kill you. <laughs> it was like, yes. And that should be cheesy, but it was totally not cheesy. And it was totally like, yes, that Donald, scared. I believe you. Like, fuck, oh, why yeah. did you fuck with him? You shouldn't have fucked with him. Why did he's you do scary. That? He's scary in this show and I'm, I'm loving it. Yeah. I, I can just imagine, I'm like, I don't, I don't feel like a wider sort of like theater kid audience might see the show, but I'm just like, I could imagine some kids showing up and trying to do his monologue about being like, I'm a cocksucker and not this like new, you know, sort of like now that has been brought to like be homophobic, blah, blah, blah. I'm an old fashioned cocksucker as like a monologue and not being able to pull it off because you have to be Donald Sutherland to pull that off. Because I was, I thought that too. I was like, wow, this is not great material. And 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 yet, (laughs) and yet it was perfect. It was one of those things that no one else could have pulled off. No one else could have pulled that off. Meryl, Meryl streaked on us. It was just kind of this thing where it's like, because sometimes we're watching these things and yeah, you're just like, gosh, the writing is so bad. Not to go back to Star Wars, we talk about the prequels and that the writing is, uh, and you're just like- I hate sand. <laughs> and these people just aren't good enough to pull this off. But you're like, well, but is anybody? And it's like, well, I don't know. Maybe, well, maybe. maybe, maybe yeah, Donald I, Sutherland was Obi-Wan Kenobi. Maybe it would have been a good film. So I don't know. Yeah, if <laughs> Donald Sutherland had yelled, I hate sand, I would have been like, yes, I hate sand too. You're right, <laughs> sir. <laughs> Flash, this is why I hate flying. It's like, but if yeah. it's Donald Sutherland, maybe it would have been okay. I don't know. And I like Ewan McGregor, but I don't know. It just, that monologue was terribly written. It, it was horrible. Okay. And I was with him every step of the way. Going like, fuck with him. Why did you fuck with him? And I've thought that, I think Hugh Grant is good in the show, but the, where it kind of really lost me was the whole sequence when he's at the apartment and he just like barges in the apartment and like with the husband and it was just so but it was so kind of like this isn't real life like that that to me felt like the not good writing it just felt not and then the do you want to feed your daughter like just the whole thing it was just it was just yeah the motivation on that guy's side I was like what I didn't understand any of it. It was really- I wouldn't weird. let him in my fucking house. I don't care. That's the thing. He was mad, but like, also- I'll call the fucking cops. What and he's you- like, you need to listen to me. And it's like, I don't need to listen to anything you have to say. And, and it just, I don't know. It just was so, felt like, okay, well, we need them to have this moment and talk. So we're just going to write this weird sequence in and have it happen. And it just- And this whole, like, it's hard to love her thing. And like, the show. I mean, that part I, like, believe. But then I was I like- believe I believe it, but- yeah, but, like, but, I but it was also just so awkward. You wouldn't be having this heart to heart with this guy. I don't think- also, no, it took me out. witness tampering. The second he showed up, I was like, no, 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 no. no. I, it, I was, like, I was like, this is, yeah. this is a terrible idea. I was like, glad his attorney, who's also a good actress, I was glad that she, that's the first thing she said. I did <laughs> love the attorney. Screamed him out. I, I, I am enjoying her. But I 
Also, I don't think Hugh's really pulling off the like mesmerizing thing. Like he's no. Sick. Oh, and when he tries to cry on TV and like be like, "I lost what I love," I was like, "Ugh." Like, but I also I and it's interesting to see how this all turns out because I I did that same thing, Dana. But then I was like, "But if he's totally lying up here, then he's clearly trying it, and maybe it's that kind of thing where it's the actor. It's like yeah, yeah. The actor is trying to be a bad actor and bad at acting like we were talking with the Nicole thing earlier when you really, really. and I was like okay maybe that's going on but who knows it's almost more likely that and what, what frustrates me because because that came up this week but it also was we talked about it with Nicole last week and some things that you had questions about with her if that's just something that the actors are doing because the director like that's the style they're telling them to try to go with to mislead us it's really annoying if it makes sense with the character that they would mm-hmm. be acting that way, then I'm cool with it. But by the end of it, if it's just to mislead the audience, this is weak storytelling from front to back. Yeah. You know, and that just annoys me. So it's- Because I want to like, and I love Nicole and I, whatever, but her character right now is driving me crazy, yeah. you know? I love that this episode was just the episode where her accent quit. <laughs> she was just like, she'd been holding it together. She got three yeah. episodes out of it. And now she's like, it's all right, mate. I can't do it anymore. <laughs> Your yeah. mother Bobby. <laughs> my husband, I don't know what accent I'm doing, but like her, my husband <laughs> killed, you know, like. Thank you, my baby. Thank you, my baby. Yeah, like. And that moment was, in the park between her and, you know, and I love her. And I think she oh, did a good job in the scene, but he did not do a good job in the scene. Like we're supposed to just believe that she came back to him sort of. And well, wanted also when she like him. faints in the park, it's just yeah, I oh, and when he rushes part. into the hospital room, he's like, oh, are you okay? Look at the, and she won't like look yeah. at him. I'm just like, no, no, just everyone stop. Everyone stop. I thought she was, I thought she was decent, pretty good in the scene with Donald Sutherland. I liked when he was, I liked when he was talking about him having affairs and this and that. And I liked mm-hmm. the depth of his character and why he, I liked how he said he was so perfect for you because you told him what you needed him to be. And so he was just being mm-hmm. that. What I, I thought that was interesting because that resonates, I think. And I thought she was good there. And he was like, how about her going back to me? And she goes, how weak do you think I am? Like, I liked that moment. Thought she was good. But yeah, it's just kind of this, I don't know, the episode really just fell apart for me. I was like, oh, okay. Like, it didn't get anything new, really. You know what I mean? It felt like a rehash of last episode. No, yeah. And that's the thing is I'm glad there's only two more, but I'm also at the moment kind of feeling like maybe this should have been a four part thing. Like maybe they're yeah. already stretching. Maybe there's not enough story here. But they got a six episode order and we're like, let's stretch it. So it's like how last week we're talking. I was like, yeah, I love when a show just knows it doesn't need eight episodes, 10 episodes. Well, apparently this show doesn't know how many. No, the show does not know. I do I do think like the scene with uh, Nicole Kidman and Donald Sutherland, I, I'm like, I feel like that's him elevating the, you know, the scene and, and, and giving her someone to play off of that is requires yeah. her to elevate her performance. Yeah, Whereas like thing. whatever Hugh is giving is not. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> No, no. Also, like, God bless, but Connie Chung, what are you doing cameoing in this? And like, not even being able to act as yourself well. I was just like, what is this? What is happening? It was strange. And, and, and we kind of, you know, I, I was excited about Lily Rave. It was like my girl. I was like, I was excited to see more of her. And it's like, she's largely missing from the episode now. And I was just... I don't know, the consistency of what's going on. It just felt, And then also, you know, the detectives and stuff very much took a backseat this episode. Like you said, it's just, it felt very filler. It just didn't, like, nothing really, I don't know. And it was all leading up to this. This, this big reveal that about I mean, maybe him. he's going to say someone else besides the husband. But even just hinting about the husband all episode was annoying and boring. And, Honestly, you know. better say somebody else than the husband because otherwise it's such, it's just so annoying. It's so cheap that it's just like, yeah. it's like the tease last week with like, oh, okay, she's on the camera. And then, 
then the rest of that scene, it didn't really matter that she was on the camera, but it was like, you know, like all that much. It was kind of like, like arrested. Yeah. Everyone well, also the resolution to she's on the camera was, but there's also footage of her doing other things. So it's not, you know, not a big deal. Like That's what I mean. It was, so it was just that thing where it's like, it's just to get you on the edge of your seat, but then it didn't really matter. So it's like, you just didn't, it's like when a movie or a show tries to create suspense by a character walking into a room and starting a conversation and then just not finishing the conversation because they don't want to tell us what was going on. And then we find out much later, it can work. But it's this thing where it's like, you're just teasing us with suspense that's not actually suspense. Because then you look at it and those guys teasing her with, oh, well, look who's on the camera when they knew damn well it didn't matter. It's like, why would they do that? Like, you know what I mean? Like it didn't, it just was like this weird. And then now the whole like art thing. So now we're to believe maybe the girl was obsessed with Nicole. I don't know. It's boring. One of the few things that does have me still being like, okay, maybe is Nicole Kidman keeps going like, I only met her at this time. I only met her like once, you know, we have not acknowledged the locker room scene. No. where they met we don't know temporally which where that took place in time right like i mean we know that she brings it up to her husband at some point and he's mm-hmm. lying to her so it's like okay well there's she's she's withholding information so mm-hmm. there could be more information she's withholding sure. damn it i still want to know what it is of course i mean it feels like they're sort of hinting that she was also sort of seeing her or something which I also just think would be boring. I could see that like maybe she went to confront her and then she was like, let me paint you. I don't know. I don't know. That's the, but like, that's, that seems like something that would happen in like a movie or a show or a universe like this, right? Where it's just like. Maybe they were in love with the same person. That's what I keep getting yeah. off of it. And I'm just like, oh, I don't like it. I can appreciate a story that also is not taking any special efforts to make any of the characters particularly likable. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes I think that is a risk, that is daring, because a lot of stories come about where they they have, especially dealing with affairs, where they have to like, they, they feel like they have to tell you who you should like and who you shouldn't. One of my examples, I won't go too long, but I can't stand it, is Kate Hudson and Jennifer Goodwin. And it was the affairs. And I just remember, I'll, I'll think of the title, but they were going into this film and it was like, Jennifer Goodwin is best friends with Kate Hudson, right? But Kate Hudson- Something Blue or Bride Wars or- no, Bride Wars. Okay. But that would have been great if it had been Bride Wars. <laughs> right. No, but if something borrowed. Something borrowed. Something yeah. borrowed. And so, real quick, I know it's a book and people love it, but Jennifer Goodwin started having an affair with Kate Hudson's fiance, and and she was like her maid of honor, right? Okay. So it's like all this is going on, and you're like, okay. And then three quarters of the way into the movie, we had to learn that Kate Hudson was also cheating on him. So then it made us more okay with the fact that he had been sleeping with her best friend. Cause it's like, oh, okay. Like they had to force us to not just turn against the, our protagonist. Like we had, you know, we had to like totally come we, around. They had to redeem that. her. They had to redeem her by, by Or excuse her behavior basically. Yeah. yeah. Excuse it by saying that actually Kate Hudson's a terrible person. So it's fine. And I think that's so weak. I might just tell the story and don't be so like be a good enough storyteller to not be as that concerned with how I'm gonna like this character. I, I can still care about the the results here. Uh, one of my favorite movies ever is Closer, and they're all shit. All of those people are shit, and I love it. You know, because it's in something borrowed. Does that mean that Jennifer Goodwin is aware that Kate Hudson is cheating, or she's just he finds out later? Okay, so she has still been committing. Like she's yeah. still not knowing. That, that doesn't make her redeemable at all. I know, like the way, but when you watch this movie, I swear. I mean, I only. Not the one time because I couldn't stand it, but they they totally try to use it to totally like make the viewer feel okay about mm-hmm. because because Kate Hudson's also a very self centered and like they, they wouldn't be friends in real life they're opposite people but Kate Hudson's very just like 
oh, me, me, me. And so she's not the best person the whole time either. But yeah, they try to make you on Jennifer Goodwin's side. And I was just kind of like, this is trash. Like, I was like, just let me dislike her and just tell the story. I don't know. <laughs> you we know? together. I like vaguely remember this conversation. Yeah, oh. we, you know, we did see it together at Oak Ridge, but it, it, but it just, yeah, I had a hard time with that. Whereas you watch something like My Best Friend's Wedding, which is a rom-com type of, not necessarily, I don't know, dramedy even, but like that I actually like because, you know, Julia's character the whole time is, is crap and Cameron Diaz is nothing but likable the whole time and she's trying to ruin what's going on there, but loses at the end and it's still okay, you know, and she <laughs> learns a lesson. And it's like, I don't know, I, I like when a, a filmmaker and, and a team can go and commit to just like they're doing here where it's like, you know, we're not leading, they're not leading us to be on anyone's side particularly, which is good, I think. Except for, you know, Donald Sutherland because he's badass, but he's not. Right, but even so, we're not supposed to like him. Likeable, yeah, he's not a likable guy. But But of course we like him. Yeah, exactly. So I can respect that, but... I, yeah, I, I need this to wrap up in a way that is is cool. To I don't think it will. I really am. I, bet I, I have doubts. I have doubts. I have doubts. Does anyone have a theory on that? Like, I I was blindsided by much of the information, so I feel like mine is. I I feel like they're setting it up to be her. Yeah, I. I think, oh, I think I, I think, I think they've been in love with the same woman for a while, and she found out and killed her. And I think that that's- Wait, they've been in love with the same- Like husband and wife were both seeing her separately. Oh, uh, okay. Or whatever, or they didn't know, she didn't know her husband was also, and then she kills her. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know why, I, I don't- That could be a twist, yeah. yeah th- at this point, we don't have any real solid motivation for anything, so that's just as valid as- Right, and what Hugh Grant's about to say is all he was saying, I mean, he was saying he, 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 but he was just saying like, to- a fit of jealous rage and that kind of thing or whatever. So he's clearly talking about jealousy and it could be that Nicole Kidman was jealous. We did get some undoing talk in this, <laughs> which I was like rolling my eyes up. It was talking about the marriage being undone or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and, but, but I was like, that can't be the title like about their marriage falling apart. The title still has to be, I still think it's something to do with her unraveling or something. And, that, and that's like annoying to me. But. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. I kept trying to place, because like, I feel like just everything was so out of place in the scene with Hugh Grant and the husband. And I kept trying to be like, where do I know the husband? The, you know, um, uh, Alves, Fernando Alves, the character. I still don't, I, I guess he was in Mary Queen of Scots, but I don't particularly remember him from that. But I, I just looked it up. Uh, he's in one episode of Mandalorian. Oh. In oh chapter okay. six. He will also be in the Lord of the Rings TV show. Oh. What is he playing? I don't know, just as Lord of the Rings TV series, but I don't think he is I'm, I'm very the strongest. I, I didn't think he was that strong either. And I'm, I'm yeah. We have, we have been talking about how bad the script is though. True. Yeah. Maybe he's not Donald, Donald, Donald Sutherland, but like who is? Yeah, but then there's still a, a wide like range of better you could be <laughs> before you get to the- I'm not, agree- I'm not disagreeing. Yeah, I'm, just, yeah. I'm just trying to give hope. Yeah. I mean, also Lord of the Rings is a huge ensemble. like you know sure. we will he could just be in an episode he could be we don't even know what that's true is. we don't really know what he he could be a minor character yeah it's just that... he's, he will play an unnamed unspecified character <laughs> interesting i'm not feeling great about the news but I'm, I'm willing to be hopeful yeah i'm not thrilled about it but it, it's not like he's the worst actor i've ever seen or anything either so it's you know there's that he, he, just... he does have a very specific look which i'm like oh who that's, no. I haven't seen that in Middle Earth yet, but I'm all for it. Like, yeah, like if they're, you know, because if there's one thing, I mean, I'm a Lord of the Rings, Tolkien stuff is my everything, like my, the, my, my fandom that I would take over any other fandom in the world. 
and the biggest thing it's lacking is diversity. <laughs> so, you know, in, in portrayals and everything. And, and so uh, I'm here for that. But this is bringing it way, way back to come away. But that was one of the super bizarre things that really frustrated me. I was like, you've, you've got yes. this, this family at the center of it is a mixed race. You know, Angelina Jolie's white, Devo Yellow is black. Their kids are mixed race. Cool. No problem. The film never like outright addresses it. Okay, fine. Also no problem. Like happy to, you know, I feel like there were times where they kept trying to like almost say something about it and they'd be like, oh, it's because I'm poor, isn't it? And I'm like, uh, euphemism? <laughs> there were no other people of color aside from his family and there was one black servant yeah, in the did. entire film. And if you, I think, of, I can't remember what we were talking about, but I was like, if you're gonna colorblind cast, you have to do, you have to apply it to everything. Like everything. everything. True. There's the thing. They think like, okay, I did it here, so it's fine. Like it's enough, and it's just like we don't need tokens. We need we need actually things to look like, like they looks like when we go outside. Right, yeah. and then and then if you're making a choice in something like Come Away, where it's like, okay, well, this is taking place during a theoretically real time frame, like this family would not have existed, or if they had, it would have been a problem. I brought up Mary Queen of Scots with having certain, you know, a couple like last week, I think with having certain roles that were like, and it's like, this wouldn't have been that way, but it was just like, go there, just do it, who cares? Right, but I, I, you can't, like, you can't do half of it, is exactly. the only. Go and do it or don't. And to that note though, to that point, that's the other really just upsetting part about the whole thing is that being that we actually have Alice Liddell and Peter Pan being cast as, as black actors, or mixed race, but actors of color here, it's like you want it to be even better because of that. Yeah. You want, you know, it's like, oh, you know, this is great. And then it's like, oh. Yeah, this could have been great. Oh, yeah, no, it should it's, have, yeah. you know, in some way been, you know, but yeah. In a little blue dress with the white. Yeah, they were like super cute but kid. Of her running and that hair bouncing around and stuff. I was like, I, this is great. Like, I like, I like that a kid will see this, but. No, I don't want any kid to see it. <laughs> and the rest of the film, I'm like, please never watch it. So it's like, yeah, that, but that's what I mean is there were things where it's like, I wanted to root. And then it's yeah. just, uh, That kid had Nicole Kidman hair. That kid had Days of Thunder, like. <laughs> yeah, you know, and we talked about it last week and I was like, I'm undoing is this Nicole Kidman hair and it's doing it for me. Maybe that's yeah. the undoing part, you know, her hair is being undone. Yeah, true. Donald Sutherland and Nicole Kidman's hair are the things in this show that are making that are really worthwhile right now. Really yes. worth. They're keeping me going. Yep. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's a week for hair. It's a it's sure Angelina is. Jolie, Katie Sackhoff, <laughs> Donald Sutherland, <laughs> and Nicole Kidman. Those are our winners of the week. A hair one this week, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. And, <laughs> cool. Well, thank you both. We have lots to watch in the upcoming week, so it'll be fun, fun. We'll see how this resolves. Yeah. Thank you, as always, to Jackie and Matt for joining. And now for some of the follow-ups. So we'll take care of the quick ones first. Just in case you weren't aware of what ASCAP is, they are the American Society of Composers, Authors, and Publishers. And they're basically a nonprofit who deal with performance rights groups. So mostly pertain, almost always pertaining to music, but they also deal with sort of the monitoring of public performances of music. They are sort of the copyright enforcers of the musical world. And then also... I was wrong in our episode. Apparently the plural of Mandalorian is not Mandalorian. It is Mandalorians with an S. So our theory or my theory about possibly that the series could be about the people of the Mandalorian needs to be the Mandalorian. So, hey, you know what? Maybe they could just add an S to the title of later seasons. Stranger things have happened. Alien, aliens, you know, it's there's precedent there. Finally, let's get into some of the more bizarro things. In terms of why you can't see the Star Wars holiday special from 1978. 
The answer is not anything to do with streaming rights or anything along those lines. It appears that, yes, George Lucas and Lucasfilm retain those rights. George Lucas just doesn't want anyone to see it. He is not proud of it. And again, given what we said about his taste barometer, that came as somewhat of a surprise. Supposedly, Carrie Fisher was one of the only people who got a copy of it. And so I would like to believe that part of the legend or her, the genesis of the story of the bootlegs is that she is the one who handed them out. We may never know the answer to that, but it does not look like it's coming to streaming anytime soon. Now let's talk a little bit more about rights and copyright. And in terms of a high level overview of Mickey Mouse, and it's a very complicated subject, so I'm gonna try to do my best to parse my understanding of it, is that basically, in 1998, the Sonny Bono Copyright Term Extension Act was passed, and it is named for Congressman Sonny Bono, uh, who, of course, is of Sonny and Cher, that fame, and so I'd like to think, or I do think, that some of the act was passed in self-interest. Uh, it's actually slightly unfortunate in that Sonny Bono passed away before the act could actually be enacted. He was a congressman and was also one of the proponents and introducers of the act, so simultaneously named for him. It is also sometimes known as the Mickey Mouse Protection Act, because basically what it did is it froze the advancement date of public domain in the United States for works from 1923 or afterwards, and that includes our dear sweet Mickey Mouse, who first appeared in 1928. Technically, Mickey Mouse should fall into public domain in 2024, so I would not be surprised in the next four years if we see another Extension Act proposed. According to copyright.gov, the term of copyright for a particular work depends on several factors, including whether it has been published, and if so, the date of first publication. As a general rule, for works created after January 1st, 1978, copyright protection lasts for the life of the author plus an additional 70 years. Prior to this, it was 50 years, and also corporate authorship works have a slightly extended thing. It was 75 years before, and then after the Sonny Bono Act, it was 120 years after creation, or 95 after publication, whichever ends earlier. Now, Walt Disney Company were not the only proponents of this. Time Warner, Universal, Viacom, all the major sports leagues, you know, everyone was a proponent of it because it's basically in their own best interest. I kind of get it. There was also an argument about a lot of the argument is based on the idea that things like VHS and DVD and satellite and cable extended the value of this work. And I, I can see the argument there, right? But I, I do find it a little funny because when Sonny Bono was an active artist in creating his art, it's not like LPs didn't exist, right? Like music was able to be preserved for however long. Apparently the original thing that Sonny Bono wanted is the terms of copyright protection to last forever, but apparently that would have violated the constitution. So we're gonna have to see what happens around 2024, but it sounds like most of Disney's works are currently protected under this Copyright Act, so they don't really need to be doing these live-action reboots in order to protect their music or protect the sort of intellectual property that's at the core of most of these things. Let's then talk about our other theory on why they might be making all of these live-action reboots, and that is, hey, there's these huge international markets to tap into. It did not end up being quite as clear in terms of contributing to motivation as we hoped. Obviously, you still make a ton of money in the international box office when you do one of these films. And yes, there is the whole, quote, nostalgia factor. In terms of Disney's relationship with a market like the Chinese box office, international or domestically produced films in China still have to go through the Chinese Film Censorship Board if you want to come out there. And yes, most of the animated films from the 90s or the late 80s, etc., did not come out in mainland China. Some of them did. For example, the original Lion King, the 2D animated one, did come out in China. It did okay. 
looking at what did do very well over there, the Avengers films and the Marvel films do ridiculously well. They perform as well there as they do pretty much in the United States. Things like Transformers also did incredibly well. But looking at the Disney films, the live action ones that have been released there, it was not paltry, but it was not necessarily something to write home about. That being said, when you look at the accumulation of every single country that they release these live action films in, yes, okay, it starts to add up. For example, the live action remake of Aladdin in China made about 53 million US dollars. However, if you look at what it made in South Korea, it made 91 million US dollars and it made 112 million US dollars in Japan. So yes, this starts to add up and it makes sense. So yes, greed, we get it, we get it, greed is good. But it doesn't mean that they're necessarily catering exactly to this market where they have not tapped into before. And then where the plot probably thickens even more is that if you look at something like the Lion King VFX quote, you know, 2019 remake in China, it made $120 million, but it is a film that did come out there in the animated original 2D form. And so it's like, okay, well, maybe it's the nostalgia factor there. It's just... Whatever is happening with it, I wish they would stop, but given these numbers, it doesn't sound like they will. That has been our episode. Thank you so much for joining. If you enjoyed it, we would love it if you could leave us a rating or a review or even consider subscribing.